What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush. It's Chuck Bryant here at our home studio, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. And today we have the great Nate DeMeo to talk about the movie Titanic. And uh, Nate, if you don't know Nate's work, you need uh, to look no further than the the amazing, truly amazing podcast, The Memory Palace. It's uh, it's great. Nate tells stories of history in the way that only Nate DeMeo can do so. Um, I urge you to listen to it. Uh, Memory, Memory Palace is great. It was one of the first podcasts I started listening to, actually. And he's over there on the Radiotopia Network, and everything they do is awesome. So uh, Nate was kind enough to hit me up because he listened to Movie Crush. And Nate is an old friend, and I was like, dude, you were on my list anyway, so of course we're going to do this together. And a few days later, we were uh, talking to each other about Titanic, um, obviously the 1997 huge, huge, huge blockbuster movie from James Cameron. Hopefully I don't need to set this one up. Everyone knows this movie, right? Uh, this is an interesting one because it's the first one where I uh, sort of had mixed feelings in a way. I did like the movie, but over the years I've uh, come to make fun of it in certain ways for certain things. So it was kind of uh, – ended up being a good conversation that Nate and I had. He does not uh, look at it through rose-colored glasses, no pun intended. He sees it uh, for its faults as well. But um, it was a really great conversation and I think I got a, a good, fresh perspective myself 
on this movie. So here we go with Nate DeMeo on Titanic. All right, Nate, let's chat a bit. Let's do it. Where are you from? Because I don't even think I know that. I am from Providence, Rhode Island. Okay, I did know that. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said it, I remembered. Uh, Because I've been to Rhode Island once to the Newport Folk Fest and sort of fell in love with the state. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, you know, the the beauty of it in so many ways is that um, it is kind of off the beaten path. Like you don't have to drive through it to get from New York to Boston. Right. Um, and so it's got, and you know, it is this little postage stamp, you know, famously this whole thing is being small, but it is super small. It's like 50 minutes by 45 minutes. Wow. But part of the beauty of it is that, um, like, uh, because it is just, it was a little bit too far away from Boston to get Boston media back when, you know, you had your broadcast towers and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And so, and, and, um, and so everything, you know, it has its, it has its own media, like all the TV and all the radio came right out of Providence. Uh-huh. And it, that signal would then cover the whole state. So it has this weird, like very, very profound sense of itself in this, like, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, unlike, say, living in Delaware where you get bleed through, cultural bleed through from Maryland and Pennsylvania <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it's like Rhode Island is its own thing in a way that very, very few states of its size can, can kind of possibly say. And that said, it's like a really weird and beautiful thing. Yeah. I've always, I've always had that sense of Delaware, to be honest, uh, not knowing many people from there, but it, it definitely always struck me as one of the states that, um, boy, this people are from Delaware can be so mad, but, sort of uh, have been forced to glom on to their surrounding states. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, you know, on some level, it's like, you know, you kind of have to jump in on which sports team it's going to be or, or, you know, which, but, you you know, and a lot of it just goes down to which like broadcast signal you got the most strongly. Yeah. Isn't that funny how media shapes culture like that? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your, what were your early movie going days like? You know, um, I think about this a lot. My dad was, uh, my dad was a pretty cool dad. Um, you know, he was a college professor. He taught, like my mom, they, they met at Rhode Island College and they taught at Rhode Island College and they both taught special ed. Uh, that's like they awesome. would teach people to be special ed teachers. Uh-huh. Um, but my dad was like really kind of, uh, like kind of a cultural hipster. And so, you know, he had great music and he like read a lot of comic books and that were, that were in all these great books that were on his shelf, like when I was ready to, to go in and find them. And so he, he like kind of led me down a pretty cool movie path. So I spent a lot of time, like for sure, you know, going to see the, going to see the blockbusters for sure. But also we spent a bunch of time at the Avon, which was our, you know, indie movie theater. Right. Um, you know, right near the Brown campus. Um, you know, cause Providence has that nice thing of, of both being, you know, having cultural stuff cause Brown and RISD are there, but also being kind of like a classic blue collar New England town. Right. Um, but we spent a lot of time at the Avon, you know, um, like I would see, we'd see the kids movies. So like this was like Snoopy come home and stuff. But, um, one of the most sort of profound movie going experiences when I was a little kid, um, was seeing Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Did you ever see that? What was it called? It's called Wizards. I think I know that movie. It's so good. I mean, you know, it's this, it's just this sort of like, you know, cartoon for grownups that wasn't like as adult as like Fritz the Cat or whatever. So I could like, it was more or less age appropriate when I was like six or seven. Like it's probably for, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's just this sort of like, you know, kind of like violent sort of fantasy 
epic um, that just blew me away, this animated movie. And uh, I would, we would, you know, this was back in the, the slightly pre, um, just before the ubiquity of, of video recorders. And so we would, uh, they would just run this movie sometimes in a weekend. And, and I would see it every time, you know, I'd see it like, I probably saw it 13 times at the Avon Cinema over the course of like 10 years. I totally um, know this and, movie. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly which one. The, uh, that poster with the guy, uh, the creepy. The guy looking. in red sitting on yeah. the weird, the weird two-legged, uh, like horse. Yep. Yeah. And he's, yeah. And so, yeah, it's set in a, like a world in which, um, there are wizards and stuff, but there's also just like military technology. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a kid, as a kid, it was just, it was amazing. Like it, it sort of tickled every, every, um, you know, kind of nerd bone that I, that I had. Right. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, I would grow up, you know, grew up, um, really, really loving movies, you know, just like absolutely, um, it was a huge part of our sort of family life. Um, it was a huge sort of vision of, of what, you know, I like thought like might be possible in the world is, you know, to make movies to like be in Hollywood or something like that was, was it was sort of an early dream, um, early on. And, uh, you know, I was a kid who like, you know, uh, I would, when I got a little bit older, like I would read premier magazine all the time. Oh, same here. Um, but yeah, we spent a lot of time at the Avon. We, you know, uh, this is like, like the time of like, you know, going to see like local hero or, yeah. or the merchant ivory movies and, uh-huh. and, uh, or like, you know, Henry the fifth when I was like in, you know, eighth grade or something like that, right. the Kenneth Branagh version. And, um, you know, and then, and then at home when we got our VCR, um, we would go rent them at this, uh, at this electronic store and they, they had this rental place at the back of the electronic store and they're very limited, uh, uh, they had a very limited thing, but like my dad, like pretty aggressively curated what we saw, Yeah, you know, like we could say, oh shoot, I want to go see, I want to see ET again. And that was great. Like he had no problem with that, but he'd be, but he was kind of like, you know what, if we're going to have to, we're going to all watch this movie and this is the thing we're doing tonight, well, let's make it be sort of good. And so, yeah. you know, like that's how I saw all the Hitchcock movies, you know, right. It would just be like, oh, which one of the, oh, look, you know, rope is here. I guess we're seeing rope tonight. Um, and yeah, like I, I definitely kind of grew up, um, with movies being a big part of my life, but also, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like doing a lot of, um, kind of like virtue signaling through movie choices, you know, like I was right. definitely, you know, kind of, uh, training to be sort of like, uh, like an esteet uh-huh. <laughs> kind of like, you know, I, like I easily could have been like kind of like a pompous little shit right, if, yeah. it, if it weren't for the fact that like, I feel like my dad was just so like, so kind of open hearted about it. Like he just wanted yeah. to find something great and beautiful. Um, so there's a little bit of like, you should see this movie. It's cool, but it was mostly like, oh, you should see this movie. It's so cool. Right. Um, which is, uh, which is an important, an important distinction, an important sort of, uh, you know, trick to learn as a kid. Yeah. Man, I get, I always get so jealous when I hear about people that had these, uh, uh, not to knock my parents too much, but I guess I'm knocking my parents <laughs> a little bit, but uh, they just, I don't know, culture like music and movies weren't that big of a thing for them. Um, and I think I've said on another episode, uh, literally, I think the last movie my father saw in the theater was Bo Derek's Tarzan, the ape man movie <laughs> in whatever the early eighties, it just sure. wasn't a thing. Um, my mom would occasionally, we have the, the big, uh, Fox Theater here in Atlanta, which is our big grand old Egyptian style, uh, concert venue, but they had movie nights. And so when I was a kid, she did occasionally, like she took me to see rear window, and yep. um, 
Gone with the Wind, I think, and like maybe another couple of movies at the Fox when they would run movies. So that was kind of cool, but neither one of them had just seemed to care about like, hey, this is culture and this is, these are the kind of things you should watch. It, I was on my own. Thank God I had an older brother who was into it because. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. I mean, you would have found it anyway. Yeah. Well, for sure. I don't know. Like, there, yeah. Yeah. There was also just something to me about, um, you know, living sort of, uh, in, like we lived in Providence when I was a kid and then we moved right like 15 minutes away right across the border to Rehoboth, Massachusetts when I was a little bit older. And, you know, I would go into town, um, you know, like just prior, just like right at the cusp of teenagehood. And, you know, because it was all sort of in the Brown campus and like, or near the Brown campus and all the sort of like cute RISD girls are walking around, there was just something about going to the movies that just seemed like adulthood to me. Like right. I was so psyched to, so psyched to do that. And so psyched to be like making those choices. And there was like also like a whole set of movies that like, I, you know, there was this indie movie I've never seen to this day, but my parents went to go see this movie called Eating Raul. Oh yeah, I remember which that. Which is some, yeah, so it's some sort of like transgressive comedy from the uh-huh. mid eighties or whatever. And I like, they would just like talk about it among, you know, with their, you know, adult friends, like just laughing their asses off. And I had no idea what the movie was about, you know, but I right. knew it was something that was not for me. Uh-huh. And there was something so exciting about like, Oh, someday I'm going to get to do that. And there was also this other movie theater called the cable car in Providence that's still there. Um, which was another kind of art house movie theater and repertory theater. And, uh, it had couches, you know, and like you oh, yeah. sit and, and you can kind of eat and they'd have like kind of beat up old, you know, kind of, uh, flea bag, uh, love seats. And the right. idea of like going on a date, you know, with some girl, uh, and going to the cable car right. was like a dream that I could not wait to fulfill. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you started doing that like in high school? Yeah, totally. You know, and then it, like one of the nice things about living, you know, in this little, we, you know, my town was this kind of rural town, um, but then it really was just 15 minutes out of the city. And uh, so uh, there, I had this fun thing, but when I could first drive, um, because my, you know, because my folks were from Providence, because they lived in Providence as, as a kid, and also because my dad, um, we would go to the Avon movie theater, we would go to the cable car, and he would take me to record stores, too, and the comic book stores. Uh-huh. Um, I just, like, knew the city. Like, I, like I you know, knew Providence. And so when I first got my license, like I ended up becoming this sort of like, uh, uh, you know, tour guide um, for the other kids in my town who kind of right. like, you know, were, they were the truck Bryants in my town. They hadn't they hadn't seen that much. Yeah. They hadn't seen the movies. <laughs> and so I'd be like, oh, we can go see this movie. And they're like, oh, uh-huh. you can? Like, yeah, totally. Hop, like hop in the car. I know that I literally know the place, the weird place that you can park and not have to pay at the meter. You're like, you like guys that. haven't so seen had, Eating Raul? You haven't seen Eating Raul? It's it's fabulous. I saw it when I was five. That's pretty funny. Yeah, man. Yeah. Jeez, my dad never took me to a record store, to a comic book store. But it you was, turned out fine, Chuck. I know. Thank God for my brother, like I said. But I was definitely the kid that subscribed to Premier Magazine. And I remember, yeah. how, old are, how old are you? You're about my age, right? 43. Okay, 46 here. So I remember when... And this is kind of silly looking back, but I remember when Entertainment Tonight debuted um, yeah. and what a big deal that was. I was like, I have this show I can watch every night that talks about totally. Hollywood and the movies. And it seemed, yep. especially being in Atlanta, so far away that I didn't even know you could work in movies. I didn't know that was an option in uh, life. I know. I, I completely I totally I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, like. There, you know, like obviously I knew it was like a job, but I like I feel like I spent 
I don't think until I was 22 that I, or so did I understand that the people who did things that were, that I thought were cool, like make movies and write books and yeah, and whatever. Like, I don't think I understood that they were real people. <laughs> like I didn't know that they're like on some like existential level, I didn't understand that, that the people who I sort of like admired, um, like had just sort of like regular lives that led them to that point. Yeah, for sure. You know? It seemed like it seems so, you know, so uh, just seems so, so far away. Yeah, I've, I've talked to friends that um have like started working in the film industry out of high school. And I always think, uh-huh. man, what I didn't know that was an option. And what a what a leg up you have. You know, college is yeah. great and everything. The- but if you start working on a film crew when you're 19, like by the time you're 30, you're you're shooting a movie if that's what you want to do, you know? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like I, I um I ended up going um to college out in California um for a number of reasons, but it mostly had to do with the like we could afford a state school and mm-hmm. and I wanted to get out of town and and I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara in part because I thought that I wanted to make movies. And when I got there, um and started to take a couple of film classes, it was it was just so intimidating because like yeah. all these kids were these Southern California kids, um and who just like who like fundamentally knew what they wanted to do, like knew uh-huh. what all the jobs were all like, like knew what all the jobs were on the, you know, call sheet, you know, knew, knew all that stuff. And, um, I, I like, I found it totally freaked me out. <laughs> like it totally, yeah. you know, instead of it being this like, Oh, look, here I am. This is something that I can do. Like this guy knows, you know, it just, it cowed me. It took me like a long time, um, to kind of like, you know, realize that there were other ways to create. And if, and also if I did want to get into the movie or TV business or whatever, that there were other avenues, like you didn't have to be someone's kid, um, which so often was the case uh, out in in Santa Barbara. Oh, for sure. Well, and then you ended up writing some for TV, right? Yeah, no, I did, you know, and, and uh, you know, and when I moved out here to LA, which is at this point is about 15 years ago or so, um, you know, I, I was in a long distance relationship with my wife, uh, uh Lila Gerstein, who is a, a TV writer. Um, uh-huh. and you know, there was like, when I met her in New York and she was like, had just moved out to try to write TV, like there was something so like, I, th- there was just like, I was like intoxicated by the boldness of that. Like the idea that someone could like even think to do that was amazing yeah. to me. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and then I got out here and, and, uh, you know, and then the truth of the matter is one, one of the things that, that's nice to be, you know, as a, you know, even though I work in radio and, and, uh, to be like a creative person in Hollywood, like eventually Hollywood intersects with whatever you're creating in some right. way, you know, if you're in a band, yeah. Then you're, then you happen to like write the theme song for some, some show that doesn't, right. you know, go <laughs> or, you know, so then for me, it was, it was that, you know, uh, uh Mike Shore from, uh, Parks and Rec and the good place is, is a, is a friend of mine. And he asked me to, um, he likes the podcast and, and, you know, my podcast, the memory palace, which is this historical podcast. He ends up wanting, you know, uh, he and Greg Daniels, the creator of Parks and Rec are thinking about doing one of those Arcadia press books, which is that, company that puts out um, one of those sepia tone photo books for every town in America, essentially, uh-huh. you know, every neighborhood has one of these. And uh, they thought they'd do like a fake one for Pawnee, the fictional town in, in, uh, in Parks and Recreation. And so then, you know, I ended up like co-writing a book with Mike and then writing an episode of Parks. And, and then yeah. again, a couple of years later, uh, because of the podcast being asked to write for a uh, ABC miniseries about the space program and, Awesome. Um, you know, and that's these kind of like Hollywood things. 
um, that that come to you when you literally live in Hollywood like I do. <laughs> well, I own that book, so because of you. Oh, thank you. Of course. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so before we get to Titanic sure. and, all that, and that all that entails, I do want to hear a little bit because when I threw it out to you about um, – well, actually, you you – texted me or emailed me and said, I love Movie Crush. And I was like, well, dude, you're on the list, so let's do Excellent. this. And here we are like four days later <laughs> doing it. But um, <laughs> you said, you know, I have a few picks, and I found that to be the case with a lot of guests is it's tough to land on that favorite movie for most people. Some people know it automatically, but most people are like, you know, on any given day, it could be a number of movies. So like, Maybe which one do you want to talk about? And I didn't hear any of your other picks. I just sort of forced your hand, but I would like to hear some of the other ones oh, that sure. you were debating. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, I think that one of the things about movies in me, I think this is a little bit true of books as well, is that um, so often it really just has to do with the time in my life, you know? Um, like there's sure. just like there's a movie that just like comes into your life like at exactly the right time, mm-hmm. and you know it will. You know, it, it will hold up or it won't hold up, but like, you're never going to give that away. And so like, I, you know, have movies like that. Like I, you know, that movie Wizards, like hands down was my favorite movie, you know, yeah. for the first <laughs> 12 years of my life. Yeah. Like, you know, just, I, and, um, you know, and then there was a phase, you know, in which Harold and Maude was my favorite movie, mm, you know, and one. Do the Right Thing was my favorite movie. Uh, so and, great. you know, it, and read by Krzysztof Kozlowski, like, blew my mind at one point. And, yeah. and now I can barely remember what it's about. Right. Um, but I would have totally, like, stood by it, um, you know, forever. And so, I don't know, like, uh, there was, like, a number of things that, that I, you know, and then there's, you know, there are, like, certain movies that, like, you know, I don't know that I can defend them. Um, so well, but God, do I love them. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I was trying to think of what would be, A, what would be just be a fun movie to talk about. But like, before we get into why it's good, like Titanic, I feel like is actually kind of formative for me uh-huh. in a weird way. Like, I think that like, you know, uh, coming out of, um, being sort of introduced to like the kind of like aesthetic possibilities of sort of underground tastes as like, as a young kid, uh-huh. um, you know, I really went down that road. Like I was like a super, like a super hipster. Um, you know, Before for many, it, many years of my life. They were called hipsters. Yeah, totally. Like, I just like, you know, it, it was just, uh, by, the, particularly once I hit college, you know, I was like deep underground, particularly in terms of music, but, but in books and, and movies and all sorts of stuff. And that yeah. just was, you know, has, you know, was and had, and is like a big sort of part of my life. But there was this like stretch where, like, and it's really in the late nineties, like right around the time that, that Titanic comes out when there were like a bunch of things that kind of were out there. Um, like particularly, like I remember hearing songs on the radio, like there's a couple of like Destiny's Child, uh, hits that uh-huh. came out. Yeah. And I remember like <laughs> going to see, you know, some like super, you know, super out there band, like something like, I feel like I went to go see like US Maple or, or one of these just like, you know, super angular, no reason anyone would actually, you know, uh, sort of borderline unlistenable, unlistenable bands that I fa- happen to find interesting and beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, but then like listening on, on the radio and like hearing some like, you know, hearing some like Timbaland production and being like, holy shit, this is like as progressive right. and as like almost like transgressive as like anything that I'm going to see. Yeah. And there's just, you know, and just like there was something about um, a bunch of the kind of like pop music that came out uh, during the late 90s, particularly in like the R&B side 
that mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Like, uh, you know, my, I would love to, you know, like it really is time, at least personally to like, like, you know, there's no, there should be no room in my life, like to be, <laughs> you know, kind of a snob about this stuff. Like, let's yeah. just like find beautiful things, like find things that move you and find things that are new and exciting. Um, and, and like, and sometimes it like totally comes in the mainstream and Titanic was 100% one of those things. Like it was like a formative thing to like, you know, to see something, you know, probably in a week in which like I had also rented like two Greg Araki movies or whatever, right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, to go to the theater and just be like movies, man, this is, ah, oh, this is what it's all about. Even though, of yeah. course, like I spent a lot of time with the other things that movies are about and these like, you know, art, you know, sort of aesthetic innovations and, and these like, you know, small movies that just like, you know, move you so deeply. Um, I then went to like Titanic and I was like, good God, like nothing in the world can like, can sweep you away and like engulf you. And, you know, like, like a, like a big, beautiful mainstream movie like Titanic. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a very liberating feeling when you reach the age where you don't give a shit about being cool for being cool sake or impressing anyone yeah. with how deep your tastes go and how obscure the bands are that you like. And just saying, yeah, I, I might go and see uh Silver Juice on a Tuesday night. And then the next day, I, I think uh, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls is like the best song of the year. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, I know. And it's like, whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it's the most obvious thing. And I think a lot of, in a lot of ways also, I think like our cultural moment right now is built on that knowledge, you yeah. know, like, like I think, you know, when you have like a, a pitchfork, you know, uh, uh-huh. uh, reviewing a Taylor Swift album, you know, and giving it whatever 7.8 on the same day that they, you review like the world's most obscure, you uh-huh. know, German proto techno reissue, yeah. um, and giving it the same ranking, you know, like that is where we're at. And, and, um, but at the same time, um, it's a liberating and kind of like beautiful place to be. And, and, and it's also, it's fundamentally like where I've been at since around the time of Titanic. Um, and, and I, there's, I have no doubt that, uh, that that evil villain James Cameron has something to do with it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Titanic because this is the first one of the interviews that I've done where uh, I sort of had some problems with the movie. <laughs> sure. But having good. said that, yeah, no, that is good because I, I knew I was going to have to cross this bridge and I want to cross it with you, <laughs> Nate. Um, having said that, I've seen the movie – I've probably seen Titanic 10 times. Right. Absolutely. And I saw it in the theater and it, it was one of those where I, when I saw it in the theater with my sister in Arizona, cause I lived with them for <laughs> nine months, my sister and her husband and their two little girls, uh, I was moved to tears and thought, man, that's one of the great movies ever made. Yeah. And with time, sadly, I've come to pick it apart a little bit. Which I will do, and we can get into a little bit, but tell me about sure, your first absolutely. experience with it. Um, my first experience with it was, um, I saw it, uh, there was a set of movie theaters, um, near, near my, where, uh, near where my parents lived in Rehoboth, um, in this, this town, which I didn't re- even realize it, but I've now since to come realize is hilariously named Seekonk. <laughs> and so, so, so Seekonk, Seekonk Mass is, uh, uh, it was right, it was the town next door and they had a couple of movie theaters and they had like a Chili's and stuff. So it was, this was the big time. Yeah. And, yeah. um, <laughs> um, so they built, they built like a, like a, like a, a, 
right, right in like 96, 97, they built a, um, a stadium seating thing, which blew my mind at this, you know, they had sort of like a, an annex to their original showcase movie theaters and we mm-hmm. called it New Conk. And so this is one of the first times I went to New Conk and they, uh, and, and saw Titanic with like, with a few friends. And it was very much like supposed to be kind of like a lark, you know, like, oh, might have even been opening weekend. Like, oh, let's go see the big block blockbuster. I'm sure it's going to be kind of like goofy and right. delicious. And let's go do that. And also Titanic was totally one of those things that if you were a reader premier, premier magazine or like at all, like the entertainment press, uh-huh. this movie is supposed to be terrible. You know, like yeah. everything about it was this, like the whole thing is like, there's these like epic stories about like what a boondoggle this was and like, right. what a disastrous thing. And, you know, and I had also seen, um, the abyss and the abyss is almost a perfect movie. And then at the end, it is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> How do you kid. feel about the abyss? I love the abyss up in, I'm just like you. I thought the abyss was really great. And, um, at the end, it kind of fell apart and sort of also, James Cameron, which uh, some of my nitpicks with Titanic, like he bugs me a bit as a screenwriter more so sure. than a director. Yes. And yeah, and, and I feel like you see some of that stuff on like on the abyss in particular. It's like like he, he's created this like this like perfectly moving machine for so long. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, like I think he I think in his heart of hearts and like the things that he care about are pretty dippy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I just think like his, his ideas about the magic of the world, like do not like align with mine. Yeah, I think part agreed. of the success of Titanic is that he doesn't have like that. It's not about imagination. <laughs> you know, I think that the fact that, it, that he's able to do these like big grand storytelling swings and in this sort of like, you know, epic, you know, uh, this kind of epic sweeping romance and, and all these like, you know, ridiculous slash, you know, really functional and really beautiful, uh, you know, stereotypical character types and all the stuff that is so, you know, classic, uh, uh, that gets embedded into these movies. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not left to also imagine some really dumbass world, right. um, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that articulates like super print, you know, some principles about, uh, you know, about, uh, whatever his, his dream for humanity or whatever. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. 
Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. So you're you're in this theater, um, like me. You knew yeah, so, about totally. the two hundred million dollar budget and what a disaster sort of of a process that it was. And you're with your friends, and what happens? I cry a lot. <laughs> okay. You know, like I really cry. I really just cry a lot. And I think that, like, um, you know, my with my podcast, like, you know, so much of what I do is is talk about. You know, there's kind of like real moments in history and kind of like remind people of what the real mm-hmm. experiences, you know, of, 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 you know, of events like the Titanic sinking, um, you know, to a certain degree, uh, are. And so on the one hand, it's just like, I, you know, it, with, with his ability to, you know, put like the same stuff that he'd applied to like make design crazy space, uh, underwater vessels and, and have monsters attack them and all that shit. Yeah. Like to put that energy into making the Titanic feel like this, like, you know, living, breathing organism with where there are people, you know, who we've been introduced to and to watch them meet their watery, you know, go to a watery grave. I found yeah. it incredibly moving. Like I just, I had this visceral sense of like, holy shit, this was real. Holy shit. Like, you know, what an ordeal, you know, all this, all the stuff that's, you know, all this sort of top level stuff I found super moving. Um, you know, I, like, I don't know that I bought into or cared that much about the, uh, uh, about the love story. And, and, um, but that said, you know, I, I also think it's sort of like perfectly done. Um, even though I, I might've cat, like I might have personally recast the movie, like, uh, like 17 different ways before I, I came down to, you know, this particular combination of, uh, of people, I uh-huh. also, uh, know that it's exactly right for what it should be. So I saw it, I saw, I saw it once and like loved it. And I feel like I had a, a couple of hipster friends with me who were, who were not entirely on board. Yeah. Um, and then some months later I was on a date with this, uh, hardcore girl. Like she was just, she was the super punk rock uh-huh. girl named Erin. And I was like, you know what? We're going to go see Titanic. She's like, no, we're not going to see that trash. And like we, and she was a sobbing mess and it really worked out. <laughs> the whole thing worked out really well. So she had not seen it yet. She had not seen it. She was like, no, screw that, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to see that trash. Give me like, you know, give me a Gregor Rocky movie. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she well, was swept away. Yeah. Titanic was one of those two that, um, it had been a long time since a movie came along that ran for that long. It ran for 10 months in the theater. And yeah. I remember when we were kids, that kind of thing used to happen. And they used to advertise like, you know, 37th week on screen and stuff like that. But that kind of went the way of the dodo until Titanic came along, I feel like. Yeah, totally. And so like, you know, the gap between 
me going with my friends the first time and the, and the gap, the gap, you know, and then seeing it again with punk rock Aaron, I think like it might have been like 10 months, it might have been 11 months. Yeah. It was still in the theater. And there were, you know, and we went and there was uh, a group of girls, like a group of like young teenage girls uh-huh. who had clearly, you know, seen it seven times who were yeah, like yeah. quoting lines and stuff. And if it weren't for the like power of the, the kind of like the, you know, the movie to, you know, kind of shut them up on some level, like they would have driven us crazy because they started the movie like, okay, I'm going to quote every Fabrizio line. Right. (laughs) But, but pretty soon into it, like they're just wrapped up just again for what literally has probably, you know, could have been their 15th showing, you know, 15th time to the movies to see, you know, to see Dreamboat uh, on the Dreamboat. Um, (laughs) it's a fairly remarkable thing, but no, like I, like, but I've since seen it, you know, multiple times. Um, you know, it's definitely a movie that I will watch a chunk of every time it's on. Yeah. Same Um, here. And, and I, and I, and I find different things in it, um, each time. Like I, I remember, uh, one time like watching it, like starting it way too late, like hanging out with friends, um, being sort of inebriated, starting it like you know, 1230 at night and be like, we're really going to do this. We're yeah. really going to like, you know, almost get to dawn watching this movie. Uh-huh. And, you know, not only did it drag me through and never put me to sleep, like, you know, it, it, like, and I just remember having this like profound love for, um, for, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This kind of prof- profound love for the fakeness of it all. Like I just yeah. was so clued into the sets and so clued into like the heavy pancake makeup and just like so um, aware of that someone had spent all of this money to put on a show for us. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that like it is amazing to think that all of that money, which shouldn't be spent on anything besides like feeding and clothing people, yet somehow, you know, in this in this three hour chunk watching, uh, you know, watching this you know grand spectacle um, was just so beautiful, like the work of it all. In that particular showing, I found amazing. And then a few years ago, they re- they did that re-release in uh, 3D. And my wife uh, and I went. Did yeah, you happen right. to see the 3D release? Did you go I did to that? Not, no, I, I'm not a big 3D fan, but I do I do remember that, like four or five years ago. Made totally. another big chunk of money. Like, made another big chunk of money. And but the beauty of it was it turned out the 3D was was inc- like incredibly well suited to it. There were just all of these things that that over and over and over again, you know, like you know, Jack and Rose are, uh, you know, neck deep and the volume of the water, like the dimensionality of the water, um, was really powerful. And then also all like you really got this sort of claustrophobia of the spaces and all this stuff. It was totally killer. Um, and so, you know, over and over and over again, I see it and my admiration, you know, of it, uh, grows deeper, even though like you, I'm sure I can tick off, um, you know, a long list of things that are just um, ridiculous about this movie, like completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, but I, like, I, I want no, I don't want anyone to be confused. There is nothing like when I say that I love Titanic, that it might as well be my favorite movie. None of it is because like, it's so bad. It's good. Like right. I, I deeply stand for this movie and, and over and over and over again, I find its flaws only merely like truly enhance it. But yeah. I mean, at one, so uh, what, how many Academy so Award- pick, pick it apart. 11 Academy Awards? I think so. And and why not? You know, the guy's the king of the world. Why not? Yeah, it broke it broke records and tied records for Academy Award nominations. So it's not like anyone can say 
this movie is so bad it's good. Um, no, absolutely. Be- before I pick it apart, <laughs> I do want to say that I was, uh, I was on board with the love story. I will just go ahead and say that. I thought that was a good, a, a very smart approach to telling the story. Um, and he pitched it, uh, he pitched it as Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic. And I just thought that was a really very practical, smart way to go about telling the story of the Titanic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, and, and it's interesting too, cause like in some ways, like it's almost the only way you can tell the story. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, it is, it's essentially perfectly done. Like the, you know, um, the, their love is so clear, you know, like uh-huh. the upstairs down, like the literal upstairs downstairs of it all. Right. Um, is, is so perfectly designed, you know, I, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, there's just this, the, and the fact that it is so deeply kind of embedded in class in a way that isn't just bullshit. It isn't just like, she's the, you know, he, he's the poor kid. She's the rich girl. Can they fall? Can, can they find love? Like class, right. like really is like, you know, for all of the ludicrous ways in which it gets expressed, you know, so, you know, he goes upstairs and he has this, you know, he's been invited, you know, to this dinner by Cal, by Billy Zane, you know, for, for, you know, saving, uh, for sa- saving Rose's life, supposedly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but there's also like the class thing of like, of course the guy in steerage is going to be spotted by the, uh, spotted by like the stewards and they're going to assume that, that he is, you know, trying to rape and murder, you right. know, the, the upper class lady. Like, the, yeah. like that stuff feels like, feels both very pointed and very real. And it's got this like ridiculous stuff. Like is, I love the dance sequence downstairs, uh-huh. but it's, but it's also the most absurd thing. Like, look at these people down in steerage. Like, aren't they so much more joyful? Don't they know how to live the poor? Like, all that stuff um, is so absurd, but works so well. And over yeah. and over and over again, he doesn't miss, like, you know, Cameron as a writer, like, doesn't miss, like, a moment to tell you exactly where, um, what the moral universe of this movie is. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Jack is going to open up something in Rose that Rose truly needs. And that is uh-huh. like valid and pure and beautiful. And if she doesn't, she is going to, by the time, if, if he doesn't fix this thing, by the time the boat lands in New York, you know, she is going to marry this guy who over and over and over again proves to be a true, true villain. Um, as, and, and he is a villain, um, because he is rich. It's not just, he is not just a rich villain. Like it is his richness. And the, like the, like his privilege that it like is his villainy. Um, yeah. and it is Jack's like opposite. And, and it's because Jack is the opposite. That is where his virtue lies. And, you know, it's a, it's a complete moral universe and it sets up this romance that is like so good. And, and also like their meet cute is like fundamentally epic. Like it is so good. Yeah. When, when, you know, uh, it's got all the, it's got all the good romantic comedy things, it's got all the good classic romance stuff. And the idea that, that, that Cameron has like laid this out, um, to time out perfectly for, uh, to like, you know, tell this nerd's history of the Titanic in this evening. Yeah. Is just totally chef's kiss stuff. It's great. Yeah. So here's my thing. It, it is so shitty to, to years later to make fun of the very non-cynical kind of pure-hearted vision that James Cameron had for this. He never he never said I'm going to make an art house film about the Titanic. He was like I'm going to make sort of a it's his big dopey take on these very obvious 
like you were saying, class themes, but he never pretended it was going to be anything else. I think he wanted to make a movie that 13-year-old girls could just totally understand uh, and watch. I don't know if he intended on them to watch it 12 times. I'm sure he'd love that aspect of it. But um, he never pretended it was anything else. So it's kind of a shitty thing to go back and say, oh, well, James Cameron's just so obvious about, you know, the way he tells a story. Like, that's the movie he wanted to make. Oh, absolutely. And and it's in, you know, and, you know, what a good movie to want to make, frankly. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I don't know, like when, like when I watch, um, I mean, you and Hodgman talked about Avengers. Like when I watch movies like that, like you can just like, you can feel the sort of corporate calculation like over and over and over again. Absolutely. And like, I have no doubt that Cameron, you know, wanted to make a huge blockbuster and I have no idea, no doubt that the studio was licking their chops, you know, uh, waiting for the four quadrant, whatever, you know, to kick in and, and, and count their billions or whatever. But like, he really, like he wanted to make a throwback movie in like the best possible sense. Like this, he, he wanted to make like, a, like an epic romance totally succeeded. He wanted to make, you know, grand spectacle, totally succeeded. And the thing that's kind of amazing when you talk about like, this isn't the art house version of Titanic. Right. I'm not sure that the art house version of Titanic, which I would like to see, I don't know that the art house version of Titanic, <laughs> like would nail moments like the old lady and the old man, oh, you know, man. lying down in their bed while their waters rise. Like, I don't know that me. they can, that <laughs> the things that, the things that one could get metaphorically out of the night, a night on the Titanic. Yeah. You know, whether they are about class or whether they are about suffering or whatever the sort of higherfalutin ideas. Uh-huh. Um, that's that the art house version with I don't know. Like he has found a way to also do those things in this same movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't yeah, leave, sure. he doesn't leave, like he's got the scape, he's got the size, he's got the length to find a way to like infuse that in you. Um, like I'm not sure what else was like, I don't, I don't know what like Truffaut, um, you know, right. would have, would have been able to, to like ring out of like this idea, um, uh, that Cameron didn't find a way to like, to kind of have his cake and eat it too about. It. Yeah. And here's the thing too. Uh, he told the, I think he told the love story well enough to where I don't know if you remember this, but when I was watching the movie, there are moments that I forgot they were on the Titanic. Yeah. Even though Cameron, like one of my beefs is he's so sort of ham fisted with a lot of his script. Um, sure. that he's constantly sort of throwing in these cutesy lines about um, like one of the things that always bugged me and still does is the the line. Actually, a lot of the Billy Zane stuff bugged me because it's Billy Zane. <laughs> sure. It's Billy Zane. Uh, but when he said, <laughs> yeah, the fans not the shadow. <laughs> when he said something about, uh, uh, was it Picasso's that he had? Oh yeah, and Monet's. Oh God, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like oh, they'll they'll never be worth a thing. And it's just, I could see James Cameron just typing that and thinking how clever that is, and I want to punch him in the face. But I had to just throw that stuff out and ignore it, and remember that I'm watching this this good love story. And I forget that they're on the Titanic until that moment hits where the yeah. iceberg comes. And then I remember literally being kind of shocked back into like, holy shit, this thing is going to sink. No, every time, every time, uh, I've seen the movie, you know, whatever it is, like six or seven times, every single time I see the movie, um, when the iceberg comes, it's really like that moment that happens, like when they're back on deck. Yeah. Um, 
where where they're being chased by uh by uh Billy Zane and Lovejoy is his name, his Val, yeah, his David Valor, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Where they've been, they're being chased down and like the, the whole thing with the planted heart of the sea, all that stuff's about to go down. Um, and they're about to be caught. Um, there's that moment where, oh, that's right. The Titanic still has to sink and we have so much movie left, you know, left to go. Like there's yeah. this thing like, oh my God, that's right. That's actually what this movie's supposed to be about. And it's that thing about you forget that it's taking place in the Titanic. And, um, it's, and it's, it's interesting that that isn't a flaw, you know, like yeah. it's interesting that like that he really essentially has more or less completed a certain part of the movie. And when like the Titanic is about to sink, it, it's like, it's a phenomenal thing to think that there's like an hour and 10 minutes of like spectacle, like on a, on a, on a grand stage that like, I'm not sure we've seen since yeah. never mind like seen before. And there's like so many sort of emotional moments still to come. There's so much sort of spectacle, like all of that money is about to like, you know, pop up on the screen. Um, it's really incredible, um, that he's able to pull that off. And I kind of fall for it every single time, you know, like my, my biggest, the, you know, the goofiest thing in this movie to me, um, is the, is the frame story. The goofiest oh, the thing bo- is the, the old lady, the bookend yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the old lady, um, you know, it's, it's the, frankly, it's the James Cameron-ness of it, you know, yep. like that thing of James Cameron's Sea Explorer. Like uh-huh. the times in which James Cameron sort of like really kind of inserts himself, you know, in the, yep. in the guise of the late Bill Paxton. Yeah. Um, is amazing. And, uh, <laughs> one of the other things that like, that just kills me when it went, uh, to know about this movie is that James Cameron himself drew the drawings. Yeah. Which I find so like I find so absurd because the, the first of all the drawings um are one of the only times that they feel like things feel really anachronistic. There's something so sort of contemporary. Uh-huh. They look like they look like what a, like a, a director in 1997 like that, his <laughs> idea of drawing. <laughs> and all the drawing stuff is so dumb. It's yeah. so like it's so dumb and it's so um you know. Th- but that thing that you were saying about like that Billy Zane's lines you know are so villainous. Um, but it really, like, they all really add up to this, like, such clarity in terms of, like, who the villains are, what we're looking for. You know, like, the idea that, that, that this is, it's like a, it is in, like, a 12 year old girl's idea or 12 year old boy's idea of, like, what art and love are supposed to be. Yeah. But those things are still so sort of, like, mythically powerful, you know? So, you know, not only is Jack, um, you know, like this, this kind of handsome rogue and this kind of like vagabond, he like ticks all the boxes. Like he won his ticket, you know, by being clever at cards. Right. You know, he's like, he's always up for an adventure. He's from Chippewa Falls, but here he is, you know, yeah. ha- having a, having dinner with all, with, with John Jacob Astor. You know, right. he's, he, he also is, he's also like somehow a bohemian artist as well. You know, it's like if only uh-huh. he had a motorcycle, he would have like clicked like all the rebel boxes. <laughs> You got to give Cameron credit. Like he really went for it. At least he's like, man, if I'm going to throw some tropes people's way and some classic themes, I'm going to like spoon it on. No. And the other thing that the other thing that he can do that I actually I just thought about this now. The other thing that he can do that girls from 11 to 14 uh, really, really want in their boys is he can dance. Yeah. You know, like he is yeah. also Patrick Swayze. Not only is he James <laughs> Dean, not only is he Harrison Ford on some level, he uh-huh. is also Patrick Swayze. Um, you know, it's like, I, it's hilarious. I mean, it's one thing that they go down and they like, 
you know, do the reel and, you know, they, he holds her close and all of those like magical things about dancing that, that literally anyone can do if you just like, you know, aren't such an uptight asshole, you know, uh-huh. like, just throw yourself into it and dance like you mean it and you can do those things. Right. He also has his moment when he's like the master of the Irish jig, which is yeah, hilarious. Yeah. He's also the master of the, he's mastered the Irish jig. And then immediately she goes on point because, you know, she is, you know, stayed and, you know, has been every, like she everything she's learned has been through like, the you know, been through school and informal things. But here's Jack, this, you know, all all id um, uh, character. Um, but the dude can dance like he is he like Travolta before him, like Swayze before him. He's got it all. Well, the the only thing they didn't do, and I bet you this is a deleted scene, is. Uh, sneak into the kitchen and he prepares her like a four star chef quality meal. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> like he learned it like riding the rails. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Let's talk about the uh, the sinking because sure. um, just still expertly executed, chilling, chilling, great hour plus, I don't know how long, what, hour and 10 or 12 minutes of the ship sinking that was just so, so well done. 
Oh, it's amazing. You know, it, but I think that the thing that I really, one of the things I really admire from like a storytelling uh, point of view is that in, uh, in the scene after, uh, you know, basically Jack's, you know, steals Rose away from the formal dinner. Yeah. You know, she goes off to, she goes off to like walk him and like apologize for how snooty and hoity toity everyone was and what a dick, you know, her fiance is. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he, you know, he blows it off. He's like, come dancing with me. And they go dancing. And then, then Lovejoy spots them. And then there's a little chase and they do the drawing and all that stuff. Um, between that, between those scenes and then the scenes in which Lovejoy is, is chasing them and they're kind of gleefully running away from him. Um, not quite knowing that a the Titanic's about to sink and uh, that you know he's about to catch them and that and the the uh, the stone has been planted and all that stuff. Um, in those in those sets of scenes, um, they run the whole ship. Like we see every single place that is important to a understand what is about to happen. Like what like. Like, uh, you know, these are the holds that if these things fill up, we will sink. Like, this is the engine of, that if this thing fails, we will, you know, we will not be able to push, push on. Oh. Um, and all of those sequences, all of the places that we, um, see, um, we are about to see again. Like, we're about to see them again, either in montage where like the engine guys are like, you know, oh, we're giving her all she's got, captain kind of thing, mm-hmm. or they're about to drown. Like, we're, we're all of those places that, that will dictate how we experience the sinking of the Titanic, we have masterfully been to all of those places and we've seen them in like a more joyful light, which I think is kind of important. And also, um, uh, you know, and we've, we've happened in this like whirlwind of their running around and they're like, we're whirlwind sort of like romance. We, we've just met these people whose characters are very, like they're not like particularly well sketched out, you know. There's like Tommy, the 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 guy who's gonna who's playing like the you know the 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 flute or whatever. Right. Um, and and then there's like the little girl who uh, Jack says, "Ah, oh, you're still my you're still my special girl, Flora, whatever her name is." Yeah. You know, we we've connected with the people you know down below. Mm-hmm. We've seen the spaces that we're that we you know a need to understand you know to understand exactly what's gonna happen and b. Um, like we, so we get the layout and we understand the mechanism, but we're going to see those things, um, not only sort of meet their doom, um, in just a few minutes, like Jack and Rose are going to have to like go back through them. Like they're going to have to like swim their way through these things. Yeah. And it's really masterful. Like the first two hours in so many ways, you know, in all that stuff, in, in the telling of their love story, Cameron gives us all the information that we need to, fully experience the like heartbreak and also just the kind of like film majesty of the last hour. Yeah. And it like, kills me. It's so well done. Totally. Totally. And I remember the, uh, the big shot for me, man was, uh, at the end when they have climbed all the way up to the, to the now vertical, yep. uh, stern of the ship and that great shot, man, where, it, where the camera comes over and he goes, and, you know, it was a little ham-fisted that he set it up in the bookend exactly how the Titanic would sink. But right. it, I, get, I, I give it to him. It was helpful for people to have that understanding. Because totally. to, yeah. to know that at the end when they get up there and they're on the rear of the ship that is now completely upright. And he said, this is it. This is it. And, you know, it's going to go down in like 30 seconds or something. It's right. truly like I'm getting a little chill now. I remember being in the theater and it was just devastating and scary as hell scary as hell and, and just like it's so you know as ham-fested as it is it's like 
It's entirely necessary. Like what a perfect piece of exposition. Mm-hmm. You know, you've forgotten that you received it as exposition, you know. Sure. It's now hours. It's now like literally, it's literally hours later, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, but you, there it is. It's come back and you remember it and you know it's about to happen. Um, that sense of impending doom is there. And also through that whole sequence, there are just these like fairly indelible shots. There's the one where it starts to pitch and then all the people are trying to like, you know, hang on and, yeah. and, you know, some of the kind of shittily CGI people start to like, you know, bang away. Yeah. Um, was, but at the same the time, like, yeah, but the, the, but the terror of it is like so real. And also the fact that, um, it's been such a noisy movie. Um, and there's been so much sort of score and there's been so much, um, you know, diegetic music and, and all that stuff that, um, it's super silent up, up top. Yeah. You know, almost every time they go up top, like, uh, there's very little music playing and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just chilling, you know? And, but so, you know, and then, then they, they set up the, there's the stuff about the, like, there are all these like little, at this point, kind of like iconic moments, um, that are kind of goofy, but they really work. The thing with the, with the band playing on deck. Yeah. Is really something. I know, you know man. all the Vic, all the Victor all the like Victor Garber stuff, which is so like hand fisted. Oh, you know, as the designer of the Titanic, like all the stuff, like uh, I told them not to go fast, but they want us to go fast. Like all that yeah. stuff. You know, the captain going down with his ship um, is so heartbreaking. Uh, it's just, it's and you know it's just it's amazing that something that is so huge that the that the movie is just so big and the screenplay is just so long. Um, I'm not sure there's like a wasted line in it. Like, not that all the lines are great, but you know, like every single thing like adds up to like that little bit of character stuff, so that you know who these people are um, when they live, when they live, or when they don't live. Um, and it's really remarkable. The other thing that got me at the end was, um, like you were talking about with the sound design, all the noise and everything, and when the uh, when the ship finally goes underwater and it's just gone yep. all of a sudden. And oh, totally. they, he, he has that big wide shot of everyone screaming and flailing in the water. And it yeah. really hits home like how many people died an awful, awful death. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it's not, and it doesn't first, I don't, I'm actually I'm really shocked about this. It doesn't feel exploitative. Like, no. because, you know, through his weird little manipulative, like, okay, let's make the Irish guy. And what's an Irish guy? An Irish guy is fun loving and likes to drink. Okay. But I right. got, I got that guy in my head. <laughs> but like, you know, but those, you know, those like, you know, uh, mythic level stereotypes, like, you know, there's an Irish guy going down that you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like there's something like it really has, he's really, you know, managed to cement um, you know, the types of people and the, and you can picture the dreams that they have that are going down with the ship. Yeah. Um, it's really something. And then there, the other thing that like I'm just thinking about now is that there is a lot of, um, you know, kind of classic fatal attraction, um, or zombie movie stuff where like, oh shoot, the monster's not dead, you know? Like yeah. there are times in which like the chase continues when, you know, by all accounts, it probably shouldn't, but uh-huh. it never quite feels like that. You know, yeah. it, like, you know, Lovejoy is a ridiculous character when it all comes down to it. Like he is singularly focused on being a toady for the world's worst human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, you know, uh, we moviegoers, we know that that guy is going to stop at nothing. And he doesn't. Yeah. He just like keeps going. He's never going to give these guys a break. And uh, it's amazing that they're able to like pull off 
the the like pleasures of that the like almost like you know the thriller horror movie you know straw dogs like pleasures of of like yeah. that kind of chase and that kind of like relentless danger it's amazing that he's able to weave that through this like monumental yeah. danger that's happening right then totally all right nate that was great we Titanic like to close man. we like to close with uh a couple of segments here on Movie Crush. What Ebert said. The great Roger Ebert gave Titanic four stars. Did, was he, I can't know. remember. Was he a four-star remover or a five, a five a four-star reviewer or a five-star reviewer? He was four. This got, got max. Yeah. Good, good for Roger. <laughs> so he said this. He uh, movies like, <laughs> movies like this are not merely difficult to make at all, but almost impossible to make well. The technical difficulties are so daunting. That it's a wonder when the filmmakers are also able to bring the drama and history into proportion. I found myself convinced by both the story and the saga. The setup of the love story is fairly routine, but the payoff, how everyone behaves as the ship is sinking, is wonderfully written as passengers are forced to make impossible choices. Yeah, man. He, he, I feel like he nailed it. And I, w- I would also, uh, let's talk about one of the Oscar winners from this movie. Let's talk about um, My Heart Will Go On. By Celine Dion. <laughs> All right. Let's Which, on the one it. hand, okay, not a good song. Like, don't uh-huh. get me wrong. Like, when it's on, I I cringe a little bit. Um, uh, but melodically strong for sure. It has a key change that it, that it's totally unnecessary. Um, uh-huh. but it is <laughs> yeah. as it is that song in its three and a half minutes. Like, it, can you think of? I'm not sure I can think of a of a song that is better matched to its uh to its movie because uh-huh. it is absurdly huge you know like it's like that key change where it where everything just lifts up for like one more octave is it it is that moment when oh my god the titanic still has to sink that is that key change it's (laughs) like oh my god how much bigger this can can this be and Celine's like let me show you but beyond that (laughs) that like but also like it's you know it's it's message the idea that like it really doesn't, it embodies the thing. Like my heart will go on is the idea that like here, this person that I have like, you know, fallen deeply in love with, who knows where our lives are going to go. But like, no matter how far, like what you have given me will like live on. And the other thing is my heart will go on. Like I will survive this thing. And yeah. fundamentally, you know, as much as anything, like what is the most sort of powerful, like enduring thought of Titanic. It's that like, basically, you know, there are times when like shit is really crazy in your life and you will survive them and you will move on. You know, as we've seen, Rose goes on and she's a pilot and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then she's a nice old lady. Nate, I love that you, I love that you're clearly cruising into your forties with a young daughter, exactly as you should. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to show her Titanic. Uh, All right. So we finished with five questions with Nate. DeMeo, uh, number one, the first movie you remember seeing in the theater. I, I believe that the first movie I remember seeing in the theater was actually Star Wars. That was yeah. another movie that was out for a really long time. I feel like it was yeah. probably on like month 16 and uh-huh. I was like four or something. And I don't think it was my first movie, but it's the first movie I remember seeing. All right. That's a good one. Uh, first R-rated movie you saw, either um, in the theater <laughs> or at home. The first R-rated movie I saw, I think I, I think I was five. And this is going to make my parents seem like bad people. I think I was five, and I saw it in the theater, um, and it was Alien. Oh, that um, makes your parents seem like my, awesome people. 
Well, except that, like, come on, no, literally, like, the idea of me, like, there was no way in hell I would ever take my daughter to see Alien at five. But, but I, the thing was, they were talking about it a lot. They were really excited about it. They loved Alien. And my brother was a little bit older and mm-hmm. he, and he could have, and he could have handled it, but there was sort of like no way I was going to let him go without me. Yeah. And so what my dad did is he got the comic book novelization of Alien. Ah. And so I read it over and over and over again. Before the and movie. so by the time, yeah, so by the time I saw Alien, as scary as it was, um, I feel like I can handle it. Um, and I don't remember like being haunted by it. I don't remember having, uh, nightmares, um, but I do think there was some like residual thing. Cause like I actually, I hate horror movies now. Like I, 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 I like fundamentally kind of can't handle them. So there uh-huh. wasn't like a, th- there was not like something where, where like it did not like, I think the fact that it did not like, like create some love of like the thrills and horror in me, even though I love that movie, yeah, I feel like uh, I I was too young. So remember that when as your daughter gets to be five, no <laughs> no alien. Uh, number three, do you walk out of a bad movie? And do you remember doing so? Um, I don't. I only uh, I did it once though, um, and it's not even that bad of a movie. But I was uh, I was on a date in high school. We went to go see the movie Sneakers with Robert Redford, yeah. which actually sure. people some people love. Um, but we both really hated it, but I think we just wanted to go somewhere and make out. Right. There you go. <laughs> That's a great reason. Cause you know, if sneakers doesn't make you want to go make out, then no movie will. Oh, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> such a sexy Robert movie. Redford is super handsome. <laughs> uh, number four, do you have a guilty pleasure movie that you return to time and again? Um, oh, I mean, I'm definitely, uh, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but that said, um, a movie that I really, really love that I totally stand for that, I, that, no one seems to, uh, to the degree to I do, because I truly, truly love it, and I will watch it anytime it's on. Is Dave with Kevin Klein? Right, where he's the that president. Was a good movie. I freaking love that movie. Oh, yeah, God, I love that movie. All right, I could have picked Dave. Uh, and then finally, number five, movie going one on one. What is your movie ritual like at the theater? Um, well, we, you know, we live near the Arclight, which is, you know, yeah. one of your finer movie theaters. So it's, you know, it's got the seating that, you know, you choose, which I love, which is like the world's greatest innovation. It Actually, sure you can, is. You know, do you know your seat and you can get there four minutes before and it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I like, uh, you know, I like small popcorn. Um, I, I like a Diet Coke. I like to sit, um, uh, cl- uh, like row five and in the middle. Okay. Um, I like to, cause I really like to be as, as sort of immersed as I can. Like in a perfect world, I would be sitting there and there would not quite be anyone around me. I either want to okay. be like, to- the, th- the movie theater to be completely packed, uh-huh. but I, cause, you know, or, or, or to be sort of empty. I also do a lot of, um, I go to movies by myself a lot. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. And it's, and which is just one of like the world's great joys. It sure is. Awesome, Nate DeMeo. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Oh, Chuck, super fun. Wow. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Nate, uh, Nate's the best. I love that guy. Um, the Titanic, his take on it, I think gave me new insights for sure. Uh, it was kind of cool to hear someone who, uh, it admitted sort of hipster taste. Uh, deep underground music and movie guy, independent film guy, kind of go on the record with such a 
sort of a sugary um, blockbuster epic movie like this. So it was a very much a surprising choice when Nate said he wanted to talk about Titanic. Um, but I think he made quite a case for it and pointed out a lot of things to me that I had never noticed before. And it was just a, a good conversation. Nate's a great guy. So uh, remember to check out The Memory Palace, his awesome podcast. Uh, it's really good. It'll be worth your time for sure. And uh, I will see you next time on Movie Crush. And until then, maybe you should take some Kleenex into the theater because I have a feeling you're going to cry. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. Right, let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 